Welcome to The Hack, the straight-talking smart tech podcast where we discuss the ever-changing world we live in today. It's time to start thinking differently. So tune in and buckle up for some home truths as Hull and East Yorkshire's very own digital tech experts talk transformation and change, focusing on people, process and technology. Well, we're back, aren't we? We're back. We certainly are. We've got a cracking guest. Um, I'll, I'll welcome Steve straight away. Welcome, Steve, onto the, onto the show. Thank you, Liam. And do, you to, do you want to jump back over, Paul? I do. Um, welcome, Steve. Um, thanks for um, accepting our invite today. I've been looking forward to this all week, so, um, yep, can't wait to get started. And welcome again, Joe. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome, Leon. Good to be back, as Good always. To be back. Let's so, get it going. So, um, I'll, I'll let you into a little secret, Steve. I, I never really told these guys apart from, you know, not much background about you. Um, but I just thought you'd be an, an awesome guest. Um, because we, we talk on the show a lot about, you know, people processing technology. And I think a lot of people underestimate the complexity of us, us human beings and, and Steve, do you want to give us a sort of an, an introduction for anyone who's listening to our show in terms of, because I couldn't sum up what you do, you know, what, what you, it's, it's magician, it's, it's, it's magic, isn't it? Do you know, it's the hardest thing in the world to do, which is why I'm grateful that, that you guys say that my short answer is I change people's lives forever. Um, that's the that's the kind of the tagline I use in America, because they like you to brag and uh, and basically tell them how wonderful you are in on this side of the pond. I say that basically what I've devoted most of my life to is really unlocking the potential of people. So I'm a huge believer that in every single one of us is not unlimited potential, but certainly dreams and aspirations and gifts and superpowers that all of us have. But sadly, in our world, very few of us ever get truly heard, valued and appreciated for what it is we have to bring. So for me, unlocking the potential of people is really what, what Giant has been doing. Um, and I guess it's something that I will do until the day that I depart this uh, earth of ours, because for me, there's nothing more rewarding that actually I get to run a business and really run my own passion of saying, how do I help people be the best they can be in every area of life and every sphere of culture? Absolutely love that. I love that. Yeah, I listened. I listened to Steve's TED talk this morning, um, and I just I just watched a clip of one for about six minutes, and I came off, and I just thought, wow. And I will be delving more, delving more, and we're going to find out more, aren't we? We are going to find out more. Um, any bits you want to add, Joe, before we before we kick off and, and jump into straight straight question one? No, I just I just want to ask more really, and just learn more about you, Steve, and um, certainly how you transform people or bring that potential out in, in others I think will be a really key focus of this this podcast do you want me to well, the, thing, the, the thing you'll find Joe is that almost all my learning has come out of personal failure and getting it wrong so the the true the true hero of my world is probably Helen who I've been married to for 28 years I've been happily married for all of them Helen for probably about 12 um, <laughs> on the grounds that, that she has really been um, a complete opposite to me but Learning how to do our relationship well has proved uh, fertile soil, shall we say, for developing tools and resources to help others. Because Helen and I are complete opposites in every aspect of life, every aspect of personality, and yet somehow uh, we've managed to find a way to make it work and be rewarding. So 
That, Don't think well, I'm that clever. We, well, we have a great question, actually, to ask you about the failures then. So that would be really helpful to uh, go I into write, that I one. have written many books on my failures. <laughs> though, in fact, the, the true skill is I've turned them all into very valuable marketable tools and resources that <laughs> I say to others, you might as well make different mistakes from the ones I've already made. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's humility, which is often the mantle, which is, for me, probably the most important leadership mantle. Um, you can't fake humility, sadly. <laughs> Absolutely. No, and I love that. And I, and I think just before we do sort of delve straight in, I, I think um, just a question I wanted to ask. <laughs> Getting people to communicate and collaborate, you know, is one of the hardest tasks, um, not just as, you know, as a leader, but just in life in general, you know. I think we're leaders in, I think the word leader, um, Steve, gets sort of bounded about a bit easy. But then aren't we all leaders of ourselves first and trying to understand that? What would you, what was, you know, what would you sort of say around that sort of definition of leaders? Yeah, I mean, I always say everyone leads at least one person. Um, and leadership is influence. So in a sense, you may think you have, um, you may not want to call yourself a leader, but I promise you, you still have influence on those around you, whether that's family. Um, in Paul's case, that's his multiple family. Um, but the rest of us, our family, our friends, extended, you'd be amazed how many people you lead. The question I always ask people is, are you leading in intentionally or accidentally? Because you're having an impact uh, in your influence. It's having an impact for good or ill. But nobody, nobody is, um, everyone leads at least one person. And most people influence far more people than they actually realize they do. Love that. That the shadow we cast, isn't it? The, the, yeah, yeah, the, the shadow we cast. So I think we let's get straight into it. Let's go, Joe. Okay, so what are one to three books that have greatly changed or influenced your life, Steve? Gosh, this is a really tough question. So I went, well, th there's one. I mean, there's one that I've read more than any other book. So I guess in the sense of going, I, I couldn't really answer anything other than the first one with the Bible, but particularly. Um, I've read it year after year after year and just found it incredibly valuable. But the thing that I love most is the book of Proverbs, which is really wisdom from the ages. I'm a great believer that most human things haven't really changed a great deal. And there are actually 31 chapters in Proverbs. So I read one each day and I've been doing that for many, many years and I still haven't mastered how to be wise, but that's been the most influential book for me. And then I, then I chose two from this year which, because it's really hard, my memory being a 50-year-old man now, I can't remember that far back. So there's one called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry called by John Mark Comer, which I found really helpful going into COVID lockdown to actually look at how busy we are, how much of our identity is wrapped up in what we do. And he does a great example as a recovering workaholic talking about actually how creating rhythms in our days and particularly in our weeks to have a day off, to celebrate, you know, uh, what he calls Sabbath was great. Uh, and then the last one will be uh, Infinite Game by Simon Sinek, which, um, which is just a fascinating for those of us who run businesses to go. The difference between if you're in a finite game, then there's a very specific end goal. But the, an infinite game means you love what you do so much. It's not when will I leave, it's how long can I play for? And actually, what does it take to create an environment, a culture, an organization where you begin to live into an infinite mindset, not a finite mindset, where you don't have competitors, because in the end, what you want is more people to be able to do what you do. So they would be my three, one from many, many years of reading, two from this year that I, I guess, have spoken particularly to me about rhythms of rest and particularly 
for someone like me who struggles at times to be, oh, and I say, I can be physically present, but emotionally and intellectually absent because my brain is strategizing how I'm going to conquer the world. And my little children and my older children are never really that interested in that. They want to know, am I going to be truly physically, emotionally and intellectually present? And um, I struggle with that at times, if I'm honest. So do you feel like by reading those books, have you changed anything? Because you said some of them are from this year. So is there anything that, any kind of learning that you've taken mm. or being able to put into practice? I guess we can all take some learning, but it's whether we can put it into practice. That's Get you, Joe. That's a great question. That is not just what you read. So for me, I think that um, the ruthless elimination of hurry has actually meant that I've created a 24-hour period where I don't work um, and tried, I think, to be very, very disciplined in actually going the boundaries between when I'm working and when I'm not. So if you work from home, which many of us have in the last year, and I guess I do a lot anyway, it's quite easy to blur the boundaries between work, rest, play, and that's okay for me, the way I'm wired, but for Helen and the girls, they usually want to know actually when am I working, when am I not? And sadly, my mobile phone is the one I often read on, but my kids think that's what I'm doing, email on. So we wrote a book called Five Years, Jeremy and I, on similar principles. But this idea of being very actually saying, how do I be um, deliberate, Joe, in where does my time go? Who gets my time? I think being more intentional in creating unrushed, unhurried. So people always say to me, Steve, you must be incredibly busy. And I say, no, I try not to be. Um, because in the end, leaders need availability as much more than they need meetings. And the further up any organization you go, the idea is you should have more capacity for the people who need it, not the other way around. So that's what I put into practice, um, Joe. Does that get me through to the next question or not? It absolutely well, we does. Don't. Paul, Paul was nodding his head as well. Are you ready to go as well? Is it a firing squad <laughs> we're going at now? Well, I, I'm, I'm very new to business um, in the last year or so. And I struggle. Um work-life balance because I love what I'm doing so much and I'm working so hard at it, I struggle to stop because I'm enjoying it. Um, yeah. Where I am learning now to plan and go, right, the next two days I'm not doing anything. But even when it's them two days, my brain's still thinking about the week mm. coming. Mm. And I'm struggling with that in a minute. But I think that might be because I'm new to owning my own business and I'm loving it that much. It mm. doesn't feel like work. So I will get there. I think it, it'll probably come with a bit more experience. I, th I think I to think. add on this, uh, interesting. Um, Steve, just just share the... the so Steve analysed me with these, you know, these tools and just basically it, it's like magic. And that's why I really want you to do it. But we'll, we'll, we'll come to this. But obviously understanding my personality types, uh, my personality type you know, as a framework, I think personality, when you profile people, I've got into loads of debates on this. Some people think it's not ethical it's not right but i think you know i remember watching the red arrows give feedback to each other and it was very not personal but very detailed and and i sort of asked the red arrows on this and i remember talking to you and i, and I think i mentioned it to you briefly today in, in terms of they said that we need to have feedback and, and as humans we take feedback personally so i i think these psychometric models are, are brilliant to at least they're not perfect but they at least give us a framework the way we can we can talk and i think where i'm leading with this steve is you mentioned about a backpack with me, didn't you? Mm. Um, and Paul, just to get you up to speed on this. So when Paul's been running Andy's Man Club, you know, with me, and it's uh, it, at times, you know, because it's got so big and, 
you know, we can appear that there's a lot of responsibilities on our shoulders. Um, Paul, do you want to explain about rule one of being a facilitator and opening the doors at Andy's Mankle? What's, what's what number one rule we have? Is to be truthful and um, to be, well, to be true to yourself and true to the group. And if you're not feeling well, you use the group like anybody else. So just give um, Steve a, a, a sort of insight into when I've turned up and I've realised that you're not being truthful. Yeah. Yeah, there was a there was a time when I wasn't feeling so good and I thought it was my duty to make the experience for everybody else um, a good experience, but I wasn't enjoying it. So Leon spotted it because he has a sixth sense with me and um, he said, right, if if you're not truthful to yourself, you're not truthful to anybody else, so we'll st- Stop being a facilitator. <laughs> Stop. Start using the club. Start and using I, the club. Yeah, it was. I, I, it was. It was a. I think it was feedback that he actually needed, and I think we have the relationship where I didn't take it personally because it it was coming from love. So yeah, it was one of them that to be a good leader, you've got to be truthful to everybody else. But I think that was very. I delivered it very bluntly because I didn't have the tools um, that, that that Steve has, has magically got. But Steve, do you want to explain the story about the backpack? Yeah, I mean, well, this may be more for you, Liam, than than the others, but in the end, human behavior is ridiculously predictable. And in the end, once you begin to realize that what most people do, Paul, is when they they take on leadership for the first time, they apply what we call the golden rule. They, They do for others what they'd most want done for themselves and then wonder why it goes wrong 90% of the time because we're different in the way that we function. So I always say to people is, the art, if you want one tool for leadership, we talk about the ability to calibrate high support and high challenge for those that you're leading, but to do it in a way that actually fits with the way they're wired. So someone who is very, very relational, very empathetic, very sensitive, will always challenge themselves far more than you could possibly challenge them. So when you bring challenge to them, you have to be very careful. When you do it to someone like me, I need challenge but it's quite hard to challenge me. So what I said to Liam was, Liam, the way you're wired with the work you're doing, the biggest challenge for you will be not the opportunity, not the number of people that want you to help them. It will be how you manage your own resources because in the end, you find it very hard to say no to people and to the people you've said yes to, you find it very hard to move them on to somewhere else. So Liam's tendency will always be to have a backpack full of people which gets heavier and heavier as new people get put into it and to take anyone out feels like giving up a child for adoption. But if he doesn't, eventually that backpack, even for somebody as strong as Liam, will get so heavy that he will drop the backpack and run away and try and effectively get away from the pressure of responsibility for people. So the thing I was saying to Liam is the best thing you could ever do for him, and now Joe and Paul, you can ask him often because I'm not going to be physically present as much as you, Leon, how heavy is the backpack, if you're being honest? And ultimately, who needs to be released from your backpack because actually you've carried them for long enough and they're ready to walk on their own because you won't have capacity to help more people if you don't actually release some of the people who love being in Leon's backpack. There's nowhere better in the world than being in Leon's backpack where he cares for you, he's kind to you, he's helping you fulfill your potential, and there's some really lovely people and resources in the middle of it. So that's just a tailored, um, in many ways, speaking the truth in love, Paul, to take your words. I'm speaking the truth in love to Liam because I care about him and I want him to be able to fulfill his potential. 
and he won't do it if he gets overwhelmed, burnt out because he doesn't know how to say no, or more likely doesn't know how to say it's time for you to walk on your own two feet because I've helped you for long enough. Does that make sense, Paul? Certainly does, yeah. Did you know how easy it could be to save a life? Sometimes all you have to do is talk. It's time to talk suicide. Sign up to the Talk Suicide campaign today for free training and advice at talksuicide.co.uk. Save a life today. Talk suicide. The reason why I'm sharing that is, um, Steve, is because Paul um, notoriously sometimes nicks my own backpack off me. And carries my backpack, so that's where I was leading that question. You see, because um, I was guessing. Yeah, yeah, he was guessing, and in, in a, that's fair, is it? Is it not? Um, so I just thought I thought it's a great analogy the way he put that. Any, anyone had anything to add, Joe? No, it just kind of it just really resonates. If I'm if I'm honest, and um, you know, the, there's times in our lives when when people pick you up, and and I'm not one to let people pick me up very often. Um, I do the picking up, um, so I've noticed recently that I've been feeling a little bit burnt out, if I'm if I'm honest. Um, and just this weekend, um, people have gathered around me and started picking me up and telling me that I've got to lighten the load on that backpack, really, um, because I'm not going to be able to carry on doing what I'm doing if if I, if I don't let go. So it's just a really interesting conversation, and totally understand um, kind of where you're coming from, Steve. But we would say you can't give what you don't possess. So in a sense that actually just because you want to keep giving of yourself and in the worlds that you guys are living, there is almost limitless need. And therefore, it's incredibly difficult to say no. But if you're actually going to really do it over a sustained period of time, self-care is the foundation of caring for others. So, you know, I was when I'm working with people like you guys, I'm going, okay, what is the rhythm by which you care for yourself and take time for yourself and invest in you? Because if you don't, you won't, you won't be able to carry this on long-term because in the end you'll burn out like so many other people do in the process. So it's, it's so difficult to balance that joke. And I, like, I I almost go, it's too costly. (laughs) I'll just stick to strategic people who are like me. When I meet people who really give of themselves and are in the weeds of life, of people that every single one of them requires individual help, which is why I love your group model. The biggest responsibility you can have for each other is to almost insist to go, are you caring for yourself first? Are you, you know, Kobe called it sharpening the saw. Are you really working on you? Because you can't give out of the overflow of empty. You can only give out of the overflow of where you've replenished your own resource. However, that is for, for each of us, we all do it differently. But when you are carrying a load, it's not a it's not a bad thing. Usually, Joe, any of you who are real, concrete, caring, practical people often have to leave the physical environment where you feel responsible for everybody, in order to feel actually the emotional, intellectual headspace of just to deep breathe. Because if you're not careful, you can become quite myopic, and everything is into the present, and all you see is need. So sometimes it takes those of us with a bigger picture go where are you going for your day off joe and i think that's i think you've just really you know i wanted to go back to that when you talked about it in the first instance steve is that like for a lot of people right now um m- myself very much included and i really felt that um today when my son went back off to school and i thought i'm still in the house i'm still yeah. on my own yeah. i'm still doing suicide prevention 
I still have nobody else around me. And actually, for t- today, for the first time, it probably felt like quite a lonely place. And I'm saying that because I think it, a lot of people feel like that. So you sort of you talked about that place about where do you go? Luckily, the gyms are open, and that's where I'm going tonight. So I am going out. I'm going to do some self care tonight. Um, but but that hasn't been there for a lot of the time. And I think people have kind of got into that rut, haven't they? You know, Paul, you you talk about you're doing it because it feels quite exciting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there's also that bit that actually the five days of work become seven days of work because it's so easy to just drop by into the office or it's just so easy to do something else because actually you're in that same environment you don't have that physical detachment and you can't walk away and I can't kind of shut my computer down at the end of the day and walk away from it it's there every time I walk past the room um, so I think that that's really impacting on a lot of people right now um, and as I said my, my, myself included um, so Whilst I don't want to go back to work full time, I quite like having that that mix of working from home because I think you get so much more done. I think there'll be a lot of people that are ready to get back out there and have that that contact with their peers and their colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. Um, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to go. Great question next, actually, if I don't say so myself. Um, so <laughs> we're talking about you know what gets you um, focused, you know, and brings you back up. So yourself I, I think music is a, is a great sort of um, enabler um so what is your sort of feel good um song or music that gets you focused or makes you happy this is where i'm being honest because paul's encouraged me to be but it isn't really the answers you're going to be expecting so i uh, the thing that where i always go back to is beethoven's pastoral symphony so um i i could listen to that i think my mother played it for me uh when i was a baby and a small child. So I, it's one of those strange things that you, I don't remember listening to it, but she tells me it was the, the, the calm before the storm. It was almost, so I can literally sit for half an hour, 40 minutes and just disappear. And I find there's just something uh, magical about that, even though most of my children laugh at me and go like, you know, how on the earth can that be? You know, I said, well, it's lasted slightly longer than what you're listening to. So come back in a couple hundred years and see if they're still <laughs> listening to so there we go that's that's my that's my, the place i go to when i most go i just need to decompress i lie in my chair and put that on as loud as i dare well it's interesting because it, it, there's an interesting study i was i was reading not so long back actually um and let me just have, I've, I've actually got it here um one second yeah so it was a study put on that um listening to classical music is, is like proven to naturally calm you um meant to be really good for study um, and productivity um, and so I listen. I, I, I listen. I believe it or not, I listen to classical music. Ask him. Yeah, I do. I believe it. I believe you, Paul. I believe you, Paul. You don't need to. You don't need to I believe you. Everybody in my house thinks I'm a bit weird. They go, Dad, what are you listening to that for? But it does. It calms you. It focuses you. It chills you out. And I just this is this is me now getting getting dip. When I listen to classical music, I listen for. Every instrument that's played properly, not a piece of tech. It's mm. it's proper music. That shot's fired there. No, I'm just thinking of all these DJs. <laughs> these DJs with the knobs and twists. Oh, and Ben, oh, you firing up Ben as well then? Oh, oh, ben, Rooney, ben, Rooney, ben, 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 listening to this. I listen to Ben. I've got Ben on my phone. I've got Ben on my phone. Keep I'm just digging. saying, what I listen to is each individual instrument and. I think that somebody with so much talent can play that. And that, that's just me. And I've never told you before, have I? We, we learn it all on this show, um, Steve. It all comes out. I've known him since I've been 12, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I never, never knew. There you go, you see. 
You there don't you tell you because you. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan. It's it's in the next one, Paul. Oh yeah, it's man, isn't it? Right then, Steve. What purchase of fifty pound or less has had the most positive positively impacted your life in the last six months? Uh, so my, my cheeky one was this morning. I spent twenty pounds on a haircut, which was the first time yes. in looking in sharp, very handsome. Looking sharp. I did the not same. Sharp, looking looking very sharp. sharp. Not as sharp as yours, Liam, obviously. But the other one I put was um, a golf net for the back garden. Golf so net. as a as an ex elite athlete, my body is sufficiently decayed that the only sport I can really compete with and play is golf, and even my back struggling. So, I um, mean, lockdown, I bought a, a net for the back garden and uh, spent many happy hours proving that however big the net is, it's still not big enough to prevent <laughs> the odd one. <laughs> I had two moments where a ball literally went over the top of the house opposite, and I'm going, please, God, don't let it hit anything. And you basically hear nothing and think, right, great, I'm going in now. So that's that's you call it. Now I'm now I'm, I'm, I'm in the confessional chair. So my golf go. net, but my haircut this morning was a particular joy after four months of there. I don't know how you've done yours, Leon. Who cuts yours? Well, I'm, I got in trouble today. Um, you'll love this, Joe. So I thought, I'm going to go get the haircut. Got booked in. Yeah, went for went for my dinner. And then I've got two missed calls from the wife. Thinking, well, it's been important, so I rings her. Can't believe um, you've just kicked me to the cab. I said, what, what are you on about? Um, so Zoe's been cutting my hair through lockdown. Um, she went, I thought you really enjoyed getting your hair cut. I said, I do, I do. I was just saving you a job to do. And she's like, she's bought clippers, everything. She was highly offended, highly offended. But, you know, you can't win, can you, Steve? You I don't blame her. Don't blame her at all. The first day hairdressers or barbers are open, you cannot wait to put right what Zoe did wrong. That's what I was just being efficient because obviously no, we've got the podcast on with Steve on. And I wanted to make sure that you know, um, <laughs> no, it looked like it looked a pretty fresh cut to me. And, and yeah, guess who edited, edits this podcast? And I didn't think it through, did I? I didn't think oh, it through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only getting me on back because he's dropped me writing it loads of times with my wife. <laughs> Payback. <laughs> I'm just going to go back to, to Steve's um, golf net. And uh, how big are these golf nets? Not big enough, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I just got my, my, my son's these, now, my son's play ice hockey. Um, so we have a, 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 like the goalie net in our garden. Yeah. And the times that I've sat there watching both my sons play, um, and my son, my eldest plays sort of semi-professional, and the times that they miss the goal, and we've got like a residential home next door, and it's gone flying over, <laughs> <laughs> and I just think they would they would sit there and say it wasn't quite big enough either. <laughs> they most, have to of put the, most of them go in the net, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to buy one, Steve, but I am so appalling at golf; it is untrue. It's, and you're naturally good at it, aren't you, Paul? It's just no no good. Paul Paul only just recently started playing. I went, I went to play I went to play golf with my son and my brother and they've been playing golf for a few years now. I'd never hit a golf ball in anger. Never. So I've always been had good eye and and eye coordination with being a boxer and rugby player and what have you years ago. And um I just said, so they was telling me how to stand, I was lending their I, w- I was even Give us your cue. I said, "It's not a cue. It's a club. It's a club. I know, I know it's, it's a, a club. club. I know it's a Even club I now, that. right?" <laughs> so, so, club. so I said, "Yeah, but this is what I was saying. I was doing it to get them really mad." I said, "Give me your cue." So they was going, "It's a club. It's a club." So anyway, they're telling me how to stand. My brother it is straight down the middle, but it was near the floor. Do you know what the middle bit's called? 
runway. No, <laughs> fairway. <laughs> right? So, so, right down, right down, right? Oh, God. My son, it is to the I'm right. It is, my son, it is to the right, right? Man, right down the middle, right? I beat him every hole until <laughs> it got to a point where my son and my brother was going, you're lying, you've played, and I've never, ever touched a golf Wow. club in my life so anyway i've got a set of golf clubs now in fact was it beginner's luck or did you go again no i went again with another kid at a posh court uh, court a posh, posh court a posh <laughs> i didn't call them course i went to a <laughs> yeah i went to a posh course right mm, golf course and i didn't know i just pulled in at a parking space and i didn't know and it was the, was you in the director's uh, it's called da- captain's parking captain's space yeah. yeah and i got a ticket thing on me <laughs> Win the screen, but I didn't know till I got back five hours later because I'm not. Anyway, I lost by three shots, and this kid had wow. been playing but, for eight years. But you're banned from the cars. Yeah, but I can't <laughs> go back. Anyway, it's down to Steve now. Back to Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Enough from me. But, well, I'm I'm really excited now, actually, Steve, because this is the one, isn't it? So, do you have yeah. a lesson from a failure of yours? Oh, and I guess Great. we'll see everybody tomorrow. We'll just sit and listen. <laughs> I've got a I've got a toolkit for them. I think the one when I thought about this, um, I was involved in um, a business that failed when I was 33, and uh, we borrowed money from a lot of people that I loved in the world. Um, you know, it, it, to be really honest with you, um, 124 families of our church put in 850 grand to open a bar nightclub in Central Manchester. Don't even go there. How we managed to persuade. A lot of teetotal grandparents to invest in a bar and nightclub for their grandkids. And um, anyway, let's just say the, the 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 due diligence on the business model wasn't quite the same as on why we were doing it. And after 10 months of never breaking even, this thing went into administration, finally liquidation. And it was the most oh, awful time of life. And the thing I learned most was that actually I felt that there were a number of moments during it where we could have done something that would have probably been just about legal, but it would have been very unethical. And I'd never failed at anything before. And I hated failure, let alone publicly with all the people's money that I loved in the world. And the thing that somebody said to me, which I'd love to say I would have done anyway, was to say that you can get, you can bounce back from a lot of failures because you learn but you can never reclaim integrity in the eyes of the people who invested in you. And I still remember it, and I've carried it with me the last 18 years, because in the end, what felt like failure was never seen that way by the people who put money into it. And actually, in the end, what it did was it grew so much in me through that failure, it really became a means of helping other people. But the thing for me is, I go, don't compromise your integrity for fear of actually failing in something which is much more short term. So a business failing is awful. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But interestingly, the fact that basically we didn't compromise our integrity actually in the end proved to be something that I would say to anyone who's, you know, it wouldn't have been illegal, but it would have been very, very morally questionable. And I'm so glad I didn't do that. So that was probably the the one when I when I looked at your question, I thought, gosh, that was for me, in, you can, it's very hard to get integrity back. It's relatively easy for people to see you as incompetent where you work on that competence and get better and make different mistakes next time. So 
that was my example, Joe. I hope that's okay. I think that's a really good example. Yeah. And I don't think we've heard such a story actually before in terms of the integrity and stuff versus failure. Yeah. No, but I, th- I think really no, but I think that is um, when no one likes to to fail, do we? Um, and it's getting comfortable with failure, isn't it? Um, you know. But it's how, how do we become comfortable like that? And, 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 and in terms of, you know, Steve, that that part there, that integrity, like you've just mentioned, um, once it's gone, it's gone. And I, I completely agree with you on that. But it's getting people to be present in it and aware um, because we have to fail, don't we, to to learn. We have to go through so much adversity. Um, but we, we sometimes just miss that point, don't we? It's why, in some ways, I always loved uh, being in America because as entrepreneurs, nobody trusts an entrepreneur who hasn't failed at least a couple of times. They go, you can't learn enough yet if you've not done that way. And the difference between uh, if you go to Switzerland, for example, uh, to fail in a business is to leave a scar on your family for probably three generations because it's so frowned upon, which is why, of course, they make clocks, sell chocolate and run banking the most conservative, risk-averse culture in the world, whereas Britain, I think, is probably about halfway between the two. But it's almost like um, America actually encourages entrepreneurship and doesn't penalise failure as long as you've maintained your integrity. So I think that's something which, for me, is going... um, It's not you seek to fail, but to your point is we usually learn more through the things that go wrong and we learn from because in the end if, if you always play it safe you may never fail but you probably will never actually fulfill the potential that is in you because you almost always have to continue pushing yourself beyond where you feel comfortable and that's back to what i said in the beginning is most of us need people who will be champions for us and continue to go I'm going to challenge you, Leon, to be even more than you believe you can be, but I'm going to support you by being with you in it, and I'm going to speak the truth in love so that you can be the best you can be. And so it's very hard to do it on your own, but that's back to that integrity piece of me is going, um, I can cope with people being incompetent. I can cope with people failing and wanting to grow. I find it really hard to retrust when somebody has compromised their integrity. And that's maybe I ought to learn how to forgive that a bit more, but it's one of those ones which is really, really hard to change. No, I get that. Do I adopt that? No, I love it. I love it. I, f- I think um, I always think, especially in the area where we are, um, it's a small city's hull, um, and you've got to have your integrity because if you do it in the business world, it soon it soon gets around the people who haven't got integrity and the people who have, and I always pride myself on having a good name. Oh, try to. But I think there's, there's, there's two sides, aren't they? Because, again, you know, so, sometimes people are always, you know, when you're under a lot of pressure, people do make wrong de- wrong decisions, you know. Um, and you're only one decision away from, you know, doing something, you know, that isn't right, you know. And I need to talk about that for myself. I got in trouble with the police when I was younger and I made a wrong choice. And, and a lot of the reason why I, I, I'm so passionate about giving back um, was, you know, I was able to, you know, go again and, and, and sort, sort them challenges out. And I think that's why it is a challenge, the integrity piece, like you mentioned. But again, 
what I do love about us humans, um, we, we all make mistakes, don't we? And I, and I read, just before I jump onto your next question about the quote, I'd read this this morning, weirdly enough, and I thought I'm just going to share it. Um, we're not the failures of our past. We are the resources and skills we've built from it. And I thought, I love that. Latent plug. Think differently about your business IT. Let's face it, it's impossible to grow a business without digital technology. Now more than ever, with everything going on in the world right now, businesses are struggling to manage, protect and work in the cloud. Transform your business IT with expert support from ThinkCloud. Learn how the most successful businesses in your sector consistently generate up to 20% higher revenues at 30% lower costs. You've come this far. You got this. Check out www.think-cloud.co.uk and book a call today.